Welcome, everyone, to episode number 10 of Penn Station Sports Talk. I'm Jay. I'm your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Justin, as always. And we got a new guest on here. We got Jake. Thanks for coming. Uh, he's going to be joining us today to talk about uh, baseball and some football. We got a lot to cover. But the first thing I want to talk about is my beloved New York Mets. Let me just set the scene. Two weeks ago, the Mets were in first place, five or six games, comfortable lead. Things are going well. Coming out of the All-Star break, everything seems great and dandy. Then Jacob deGrom hits the injured list during his best season by far, not just his best season, a season that was historically on track to be maybe the greatest ever. He gets hurt. The offense can't score runs. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. They drop eight out of 10. They lose three out of four to the last place Marlins. They go into Philly and get swept. And not only do they get swept, they get overtaken by the Phillies in first place. And I rejoice. They've won three in a row. They swept the Nationals. They swept the doubleheader today. Uh, they blew a lead. They blew a three-run lead. Trevor May and Jerry's Familia blew a three-run lead. Luckily, Pete Alonso saved them and hit a walk-off home run to win that game. So as of right now, the Mets are a half game behind the Phillies. The Phillies also won 2-1 to one today. Bryce Harper at a home run. They beat the Dodgers. They are 16-55. The Mets are 59-55. They are a half game out of first place. They are in second. The, the Braves got destroyed 12-3 by the Reds. So they are now a half game behind the Mets. They are a game out there in third place. And so with that all being said, during the midst of this, Mets acting GM Zach Scott had words to say about the team's performance. I believe this was on Monday. And, and first of all, he called out the players and he said he was that the play was inexcusable. And I'm here to tell you that I think this blame goes on Zach Scott. Here's why. The Mets are not good enough. I'm telling you as a, as a diehard fan, the Mets are not good enough to beat the Padres. They're not good enough to beat the Giants, the Brewers, the Dodgers, whoever is going to come out of the National League. The Mets were not good enough. The team wasn't built to beat any of those teams in a postseason series. And what did Zach Scott do? All he did was get Javi Baez, who strikes out every other at-bat with men on, he got Rich Hill, who's 41 years old and can't go more than five innings, and Trevor Williams, who was in AAA until today. So you tell me, Zach Scott, whose fault is it? Is it the players or is it you for sitting back and doing nothing? I'll let you guys say speak your mind on that subject. Well, I, I think it's still like a close division. You know, it's they're they're only a half game out. I mean, this this upcoming stretch, though, for the Mets is really going to be a big determiner. Oh, I can't wait. That like it's like uh, Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, Giants for the next like it's, 20 days. With three so against that, the Dodgers this weekend against Julio Urias, Walker Bueller and Max Scherzer. So that should be fun. Then they <laughs> go out west to face the Giants for three or four and then the Dodgers for four, I believe. So. By next, by a week from today, the Mets could be in third place. They could be three games under. I have no idea what to expect. It's just 
I think this is a good test, though. If they can beat these teams, then I'll have some hope. But for right now, I don't have much because those teams, like I said, those teams went out and made moves. The Dodgers got Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, both all-star players, and they weren't expected to get really much of anything of that caliber. And the Giants, for some reason, are having this fantastic, magical season when they weren't expected to do much. And the Mets got nothing. They didn't get any reliever. And, you know, they didn't get any quality starter. They, I heard there was a deal for Kenta Maeda in place. That didn't happen. They didn't trade for Barrios, although I understand that they didn't want to give up some of their prospects. They didn't trade for Craig Kimbrell. They didn't really get any bullpen help, and the team didn't get that much better. All they got was a shortstop who strikes out once every other at-bat has a good glove. That's, that's pretty much, in my eyes, that's all they did. I hate to tell you, but this is what the Mets do. This is why they did oh, it. Believe me, I know. We're the Mets. Yeah, I, I know. It's disappointing. I should be used to this by now, but every year my expectations are higher, and then they I'm have to get Mets lower fan. again. I have never met a Mets fan that doesn't say the same thing. Things are going to be better this year. Season starts. All right, things look good. Halfway through the season, all right, not too bad. This point of the season, all right, things don't look so good anymore. End of the season, what the heck happened? Basically, that's that's the Mets. I, it's the cycle. I don't understand the moves, though. I get Javi Baez is a big name. Like, I understood from a name perspective, but you didn't need a shortstop. You already had a shortstop that does the exact same thing already. Lindor is a great shortstop, don't get me wrong, but he has not looked the same on the Mets. And he's doing exactly what Baez would be doing, which is striking out every other time. And, and, and having the occasional flashy defense play. Exactly. And, and every now and again looks good at the plate, but it's just something – when he comes to New York, it's I don't know what it is, but they're not playing up to par. And the other thing is, I don't care what you guys did at the trade deadline. I don't think you guys ever had a chance of beating the Giants or the Dodgers or the Padres or basically anybody from the – I don't know that there was any move that was going to say, yep, Mets are good. They, they're going to have a chance because unless you traded for Scherzer, maybe another starting pitcher – and bullpen help, I doubt there was any chance that they had in the playoffs. And that's not me being just a Yankees fan no, making fun of the little right. brother Mets. I, I agree with it's you. Just, these teams are so stacked. You have the Dodgers who are already the champs, or reigning champs, rather. Padres from last year who were great and continue to get better this year, just playing together as a team. They just When they play together, it just seems like every year they're going to continue to get better for the next few years. And last year's proof and this year's proof – and the Giants just came out of nowhere, and I don't know why they're playing well. Like I could look at them, and I could tell you what they're doing, but I don't understand from last year to this year what is so drastically different that they're playing better. I have no idea. I, it's something in the locker room obviously changed. I don't know. But I didn't think the Mets had any chance. I mean, they made some decent moves at the deadline, which will help them in their division. But it's kind of like when the Giants win their division or anybody from the NFC East wins a division. It's really yeah, the right to lose in the playoffs. That's all it is. That's what it yeah. is. The NFC East, I always, I always joke, if you win the NFC East, what are you really winning? You're winning a playoff spot and the right to lose in the first round. That's what the Mets are going to be doing. If they win the division, all they're doing is winning a chance to lose in the first round to a superior team that really deserves to fight for a championship. That's all it is. Yeah, they're going to probably play the Brewers. They'll win maybe one game in that series against their, their three-headed monster of starting pitching. Pretty much. But you're right. They they probably weren't good enough. But the thing is, on paper, this roster has so much talent. I mean, it's just 
Every year the Mets can never put it together. One year they can hit, they can't pitch. The next year their pitching is phenomenal, they can't hit. Pete Alonso is your best hitter. I'm sorry, Pete, I love you. You shouldn't be the best hitter on this team. You're a power hitter, not a guy that that should be, oh, got Pete coming up. He's gonna, he's our average hitter. No. You have a lineup with Michael Conforto and Dom Smith, who both almost had a thousand OPSs last year. Granted, it was a 60-game season, but those are guys who should be performing who are well underperforming. Jeff McNeil's been better, but he hasn't been anything to ride home about. James McCann has been a little below average, better defensively, but he can't hit. He gets one big hit every two weeks. I tell my friends, he gets a big hit. Well, that's the only hit he's getting for the next week or two. This is just what it's come to. Noah Syndergaard's nowhere to be found. Jacob deGrom, if he, he, if he like pinch, if he like scratches himself, he's out because they freak out the Mets training staff. You know, Carlos Carrasco has, has barely pitched. Taiwan Walker's hit a wall. Marcus Stroman, he's been good. I'm not going to you know, say much about him. Edwin Diaz is, un, is one day looks electric and he looks unhittable. The next day he's given up two home runs in the same game. They're all over the place. This team has too much talent to not be good. I just don't understand why they they just can never put it together. And you're right. They, they had no shot to be any of these teams unless they made – a significant move at the deadline, which Zach Scott was not going to do. But when Steve Cohen's your GM with all that money, I think you got to go for it. Like I get you have commodities in the farm system that could be important in the future, but, it, but you're in win now mode. Jacob DeGrom is only getting older. He's 33 already. You don't know how much longer you're going to have with him being this dominant. You got to trade for guys that you're, that are proven that you know are going to help you win now. I just don't get the logic of, well, we want to wait. Wait for what? The team is right to the win now. Go for they're it. Waiting for an invitation. That's all it is. They, well, no, I, yeah, they're they're waiting because they're the Mets. They're <laughs> waiting. Yeah, the, you know what? Why do I even ask myself this question when I already know the answer? It's a because they're the Mets. That's exactly. That's, that's all, all you could say. That's why I said what I said because they're the Mets. That's what they do, and this is just how it is as a Mets fan. Well, I, I think it's a combo of like between the division. And like really competing. Like I think for the division, it was really the in like right now, it's like the injuries to Lindor and DeGrom. Like those are two of your top three players. With them in the lineup, you guys were in, you know, winning the division for 90 days, basically. Like you you had a pretty good grip on the division to actually like compete versus teams like the Padres, the Dodgers, the Giants. That's more of the underperforming issue. Like guy like Michael Conforto should not be hitting 200. Jeff McNeil, like last year was hitting like 330. Like this guy should not be hitting like 270 this year. Like this is like a lot of, even Lindor was underperforming, but like with these guys in the lineup, you were good enough to win the division, but not just not like at that next level. Like you need everyone to perform up to their expectations to meet the next level. Cause like that, that's the only way you're even going to sniff like a team like the Dodgers. They're like so far ahead. Same, same with the pot, the Padres, like they lost Tatis jr. You know, without him, they're not as good, but you, you really need to They they have too much talent to not be good. It's, it's like every team in that division and the giants, you look at their roster, they don't necessarily have that star player, but they're just very good. Like Kevin Gaussman came out of nowhere. He was always a guy that was, 
hyped up to be really good, never really panned out, goes to the Giants, has finally breaks through and has this phenomenal Cinderella season. Buster Posey playing like his MVP self, you Mike Yastrzemski, Brandon Crawford MVP candidate, their bullpen is full of guys I have never heard of before that are pitching lights out. So they're one of those teams that are gritty. They play as a team. They they put wins together. And I get they don't have a star, but I think they're still as much as dangerous as the Dodgers and the Padres. I think yeah, the Padres yeah, are the worst Bryant. team of the three. I was going to say, they went out and got Chris yeah, Bryant. They, they went out and bought a star. Exactly, they did. Yeah, and now they have one. Uh, but they didn't need I'm not one a big fan of Chris Bryant. I don't think he's very good. I, I think he's good. I think he's overrated, in my opinion, Chris Bryant. But – Either way, I think the Padres are the third best team out of those three. I, I feel like the Dodgers have too much. I think the Dodgers are the best. They just, they just have their roster is just their roster is just loaded. Even though Cody Bellinger's hitting like 170 this year, which is a complete shocker to me. And Betts is hurt too. Even even with that, they're, they're still, still like miles games. ahead. <laughs> I maybe not record wise, but like in ta- I think in like playoff talent, like when it comes down to it, it's like a seven game series. They're they're definitely my pick right now for like the World Series. Oh, I agree. Dodgers, I said this on I have my own show. I said it. There is no one I can even begin to foresee beating the Dodgers because you want to roll three pitchers, they can easily roll with between Bueller, Kershaw, and Scherzer. They could roll all three in a single series and just beat you with all three of them, and that will be the end of it. They I disagree. Anybody else? They totally could. I disagree. I like my team, the Chicago White Sox. I think they can go toe to toe with the Dodgers. They have the pitching to beat them. They have the bullpen. They have the lineup. The bullpen. Lance Lynn, Carlos <laughs> Rodon, Giolito. I think all those guys can go toe to toe with the Dodgers' big three. They got Craig Kimbrell, who is having a phenomenal year. They have Liam Hendricks already. They have guys that are throwing. They have guys throwing 102 miles an hour out of the bullpen. They have Tim Anderson, who's a great leadoff hitter. They have they got Eloy Jimenez back. They got Luis Robert back. Two key pieces in the lineup. They have Abreu, who's a former MVP. I mean, to me, I I, I like them out of the at least the American League. Maybe not to win the whole thing, but I think a Dodgers White Sox World Series would be very entertaining. The White Sox. I don't know. I I think they can give the Dodgers a run for their money. They have a very talented squad over in Chicago. I think the one thing, though, that they don't have that the Dodgers do have is experience in the playoffs. When you go up and down the entire Dodgers lineup, whether it's with the Dodgers or with another team, pretty much every single player has been in the playoffs, experienced a championship, or at least been to one, if not won one. I'm Fairly certain I went through the majority of the lineup. Most of them were obviously there last year. Then you brought in Scherzer, who already won a championship on his own with a different team. You have base and Trey Turner who was with him. So that's another guy right there that you brought in that has championship experience. That's the intangible that I don't think other teams in the playoff are going to have, which is part of why I choose the Dodgers. The Dodgers not only have one of the best lineups in all of baseball, if not the best, with starting pitching and the actual lineup itself, it's the intangibles that they have that other teams may not have that I don't know that the AL is going to have to bring to the table when it comes to the playoffs. That's what I'm worried about. It's not a matter of who is better. It's just that that's a factor that is a little bit underrated sometimes, but it is so vital 
they have an intangible in the experience. Those guys know what it takes to win a championship. And that is why I picked the Dodgers, not just because of the lineup, but both, because those guys are going to go out there. They know exactly what it takes. And you have some of the best pitchers in all of baseball, two guys that will pitch an entire game if you let them in uh, Kershaw and Max Scherzer. Both of them will happily go out there and pitch the entire game unless you forcibly remove them from the mound. And I don't know that any other team has fighters like that on their team. And, of course, the intangibles, like I mentioned. I agree with you. And that's a very good point you bring up. They do have the experience. The White Sox do not. The White Sox are still a very young and talented team. Half their lineup is below the age of 30. Some of them are even below the age of, like, 26. But Abreu's the most experienced there. He hasn't been very far. The White Sox themselves have not been very far. I think the farthest they've gotten is the division series. I oh, know they haven't. The wild card series, they lost to Oakland last year. Right. So they didn't even get there. Right. So they don't have much experience. I just like their the talent they bring to the table with the lineup. They have a very well-rounded team from pitching, bullpen, and lineup. But, yeah, the Dodgers are – I think they're definitely the team to beat. Like you said, they pretty much brought back the same crew from last year. They got Scherzer and Turner, who are two – all-star players. Scherzer's a, a Hall of Famer who has a ring already. Um, but you got you can't you can't count out the Rays who who took the Dodgers to six games last year. The Rays are another interesting team. I don't know what they do, but every year they bring in random got random pitchers who have like never pitched pro before, and now they're all-star caliber pitchers. Just the way they run their organization is very, very good. They always bring up talent. They're always in the race. They're always in the mix. They got Nelson Cruz in a trade. They also have a very balanced and well-rounded team. Obviously, not having Tyler Glass now, their ace is a big um, detriment to their success. But I don't think you can count them out either. They're my pick to win the East, the AL East. And I just don't think you can count out the former AL champs just yet. I think you still got to consider them as a candidate to maybe beat the Dodgers. And also the Houston Astros. As much as you want to say they cheated, they're they're back. They also have a very talented team. A lot of guys from the 2017 team, especially in the lineup, are still on the team, like Altuve and Correa and Bregman. Um, They're missing some pieces. Verlander could be back, I heard, for the postseason so that's a big, big part of it. He's a veteran that has a ring once again. So I, I just think between the three, the three top teams in the American League, the White Sox, the Astros, and the Rays, and the National League, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants, and even the Brewers, too, if you want to include them, I think we could be in for a wild ride in the postseason. I'm, I'm very excited to see how it unfolds. Who knows where it can go? I'm, I'm excited. Baseball playoffs are, are so much fun. The October madness. I can't wait. I, I still think the Yankees have a shot. Like, I, I still think it could be Yankees-Dodgers. That that was my prediction, like, before the season, and I, I'm still sticking with it. Yankees have, like, that ridiculous lineup now with Gallo and Rizzo added to it. So they're, they're another team to watch out for. But I, I do think it will be – an AL East team versus an NL West team, <laughs> whatever, however it pans out. I, I don't really know, but I think those are definitely the top six along with like the Astros. They're, they're good too. And the, the White Sox could make a run as well. I guess Brian Cashman heard what I said. I've been saying on the show for two, three episodes. Now 
They need left-handed power bats. And I, I mentioned the names Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. <laughs> that was crazy. So my prediction is Brian Cashman stumbled across Penn Station Sports Talk, gave it a listen, and said, you know what, this kid's right. Did what I told him to do. Now their lineup is is fantastic, even with Stanton like never playing and guys getting hurt and guys not coming through. But I'm sorry to say this, Justin. I don't think they have the, the talent to beat the Rays, White Sox, or the Astros in a seven-game series. I just think maybe from a lineup perspective, the lineups can go head-to-head with any of those three teams. But I don't think the pitching can. You have Garrett Cole, Luis Severino. I don't know where he's at. And besides that, you don't have much. I just don't. I don't see the Yankees really going up to any of those three teams and beating them in a seven-game series, especially with. The way Aroldis Chapman has pitched this year, I also don't trust him as much. He's getting older. So I'm sorry to rain on your parade there, Justin, but I don't think the Yankees-Dodgers is happening. I have to agree with that. I'm a Yankees fan, and I'm honest about it. I will tell you they'll make the playoffs. I think they will at least make the ALDS, but I don't think they're making the World Series, and I definitely don't think they're winning it. I called out Aaron Boone a month ago, a month and a half ago. I – around the all-star break, give or take, somewhere within that vicinity. And I said he should have been fired. And the fact that he's still lingering is surprising to me because when you had a, a lineup like they did and they were horrible, I mean, they were one of the biggest, if not the biggest disappointment in all of baseball. They looked awful at the time. And granted, they have fixed it a little bit and they have a chance at the playoffs now. They were, they were not looking too good at one point. And so – I think the lineup is great, and that's fine, but there's two big problems. Number one, you mentioned it, the pitching. The pitching on all fronts, whether it's the bullpen or the starting pitching, has just not been what it's supposed to be. The bullpen has given up way too many games where they had a lead and they blew it, and the starting pitching has had too many games where they just didn't come out and play well. But even more importantly, the Yankees' biggest reputation as as bats, when they're batting, they're known for swings and misses, or home runs. That's it. The only two outcomes with them. There's more outcomes than that in baseball, but those are the two Yankee outcomes. I would say eight out of 10 times, it's going to be home run or they strike out. And that's the big issue with the Yankees. And it was great getting Joey Gallo. I love the left. That's, that's fine. But he fits that mold. Exactly. I can go down the entire lineup and I can name maybe two guys right now that I would trust to get base hits, maybe three. Brett Gardner, if anybody, but he's just getting older. He doesn't play well. So he is good for base hits, but he's just not playing well. So getting a base hit is really not, I would say, as as likely for him as it used to be. That was what he was known for. DJ LeMayu, I will give him that. That is what he's known for. LeMachine, that is what he's good for. I love that man because he can get a base hit. And Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo is also great for base hits. Now, I will admit Rizzo is a good power hitter, but he at least will get on base. He is known for getting base hits. I, that's why I like him. But you go down the rest of the lineup, Judge, Stanton, uh, Gary Sanchez, uh, Joey Gallo, and I'm not going to list them, but that's just some of the few guys in the lineup that are either going to go yard or they're probably going to strike out. And that's what I don't like about this lineup is they're too home run dependent. That's why I think like the Rays have a legitimate shot because – Yes, it's a no-name team in terms of their players, but their players play well together and they actually get on base, which is more important than home runs. 
I would rather get 10 hits in a game than five home runs in a game because at those 10 hits, you could get runners in scoring position and easily score six or seven runs on 10 hits. But five home runs, if you have nobody on base, you're only going to score five. And in that scenario I just described, the Rays, who get those 10 hits versus the Yankees, who maybe get five home runs, are going to still lose that game. Why? Because they're not getting their men on base. They're just going for the long ball. And if I'm hitting home runs with nobody on base, I don't really care. It doesn't do much. It's, it's one run as opposed to if the Rays get three guys on base and then get a home run, you scored a bunch of runs in one swing. It's a big difference. And that's the Yankees' biggest issue, I think. Besides the pitching, is the fact they just just swing and miss all the time. They don't. There's there's no consistency with getting consistency with getting on base. And when they are on base, they don't score their runners because again, you're worried about going for the long ball as opposed to just getting the hit. Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, no, go I def- ahead, Justin. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with the pitching. I think that that could definitely be their their downfall, especially since there's a lot of they don't really besides Garrett Cole, obviously they don't really match up that well pitching wise with like any of the other top playoff contenders. And like, yeah, I, I do think it is a thing like when teams are only going for the long ball, it's, it's, that's one of the reasons why teams like the giants teams, like the Rays, they're able to sustain their success is just because they keep those rallies going. Right. Cause those home runs, they really like stop the rallies every time. Like you hit a home, like I honestly, if it's like six to three in the bottom of the ninth inning, I'd rather have the guy hit a double then like hit the home run just because like, you, you just keep it going. But then again, like as you listed that lineup off, like imagine if that team gets hot in October, like that, oh, absolutely. that go, go really deep. So I, I don't know. I think if they can just get hot and they Joey Gallo and judge and Stanton and LeMahieu and Rizzo, and they're all healthy in the middle of that order, in clutch situations, I, I like my chances still. I, I think they could score a lot of runs, but in, in October, you do need pitching, and that's one of the most important things. So if they can't get that together, they, they won't be that, going very their far. Their whole lineup, you look up and down in a nine-inning game, I'm expecting a lot of one-for-fours with three strikeouts from a lot of those guys. Sounds about and right. Listen, Joey Gallo fits right in. He's another guy that just healed their – hit a ball 450 feet or he'll strike out or a walk occasionally. And yeah, when that lineup is, is on, they're very hard to beat. Judge is a great all around hitter. He's, I don't really cl- include him in this, you know, the, and with the Stanton, the Gary Sanchez's and the Joey Gallows of the Yankees lineup, but you, they got it. DJ LeMay, who also hasn't been himself, he's a guy that you're expecting to hit at least 320 and hit some home exactly. runs. You're depending on him to get on base in front of guys like Judge and Stanton and Sanchez, and he hasn't done so. Same with Brett Gardner. Neither of them have done so this year. They both struggled with the bat. So you run into an issue there. And, yeah, the, the pitching besides Garrett Cole isn't much. I don't trust – Although Jamison Tyler has been fantastic recently, and I'm I'm happy for him, I don't trust him as your number two starter to go out there and win you a game. And I don't know where where Luis Severino is, or if he's gonna, you know, even when he does come back, whenever he does, I don't even know when. Is he gonna be at full strength? Is he gonna be on a pitch count, which he probably will be? How long is he gonna be able to go? If you're facing uh, in the postseason, you're facing, let's say, the White Sox, you need him to go deep into that game 
You need him to get you some get you some outs, get get through that lineup. I don't think he's gonna. I don't know if he's gonna be able to get through four or five innings. And you hand it off to the bullpen where, like you said, Jake, they've blown leads all year long. That every time, even against the the worst teams in the American League, they've had issues with you know against the Royals the other night. I saw they they blew four saves and still somehow won the game uh, in that crazy eleven inning game. They. Uh The bullpen is just a big issue, and that's the one thing Brian Cashman didn't do was he didn't address the bullpen in in uh, the trade de- at the trade deadline. He focused on the lineup, which he solved that issue because obviously Yankee Stadium left-handed power bat, but he did not get a reliever again. He him and Zach Scott they they didn't bolster the bullpen. I always say, in my opinion, you can never have enough pitching, and the bullpen is the most important thing in the postseason. If you don't have it, I, I compare it to the offensive line in football. It's overlooked, but if you don't have a good one, you're not going anywhere. And if you do have a good one with mediocre other parts, you, you could still win. That's my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that was shown last postseason with the Tampa Bay Rays. They had an excellent pitching staff and not only a great starting pitching staff, but the whole bullpen was like really good. Like, Almost every single piece in that bullpen performed throughout the whole playoffs, and they felt re- were able to rely on it. They were able to rely on it throughout the regular season and into the postseason, and that's one of the reasons that they've been able to sustain their success, and teams like the Phillies have not been successful, and it's hard to recover from like those blown saves, and no matter how good your offense is and teams like the Los Angeles Angels you know, have all these great hitters if your pitching staff and your relief pitching isn't good enough it's bound to catch up with you and it has caught up with most of these teams and some teams are able to out hit it better than others and sustain their records and some are plummeting as as we can see by the records and if you look at who their closers are it's usually a pretty uh, uh symmetrical i would say it definitely is there's a correlation between your bullpen and your record. And the Yankees, they've relied on a role to Chapman. They're a franchise that obviously has been pretty reliable with their closers, obviously. But Chapman this year, he started off the year looking like he Fantastic. was the best season he was going to have. He was Cy Young candidate two months in. And then he just lost it. Right around the spider tag thing, like I said, him and Garrett Cole, the sticky bandits, I call them. <laughs> Right when the right when that happened, Chapman's ERA went through the roof and he couldn't get anybody out. He was blowing saves night after night, giving up home runs. And he's he's gotten down a little bit. He's he's settled in a little bit, but the way he's pitched this year, I still don't trust him to go out there and face three, four, five in the White Sox order or the Astros order, protecting a one run lead. I don't I don't really trust him. I'm not even a Yankee fan, Jake. I don't know how you feel. I don't trust him to go out there and get those outs for me. You know, one. My problem is I don't trust anybody to go out there. Not not our starting pitching, not our relief pitchers. Nobody. I don't. I don't. There's nobody I look on that line and say, "Yeah, I can trust you to go out there and get this done." The way that every single player is pitched, I'm like, I don't know that I trust you out there anymore. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could say, you know what, Adovino, you go out there instead of Chapman. I'll trust you. I don't trust that right now. I just I, – I, I don't – Chad Green, I don't trust – and I, I'm not going to go through it, but those are just two of the bigger names right below Chapman. 
And I'm not saying, you know, one of them could close. Right now, with the way the bullpen has gone, I'm really not confident in anybody. And it's painful because I'm like, it leaves you feeling that you need to score 10 runs and allow like maybe two for the other team. And then you can put somebody else in and say, all right, it's the ninth inning. We're up eight runs. Maybe we'll close out this game. That's what it feels like right now. It's not a good feeling. It's not, we're up three to one. It's the bottom of the ninth. We got this. It's bottom of the ninth, three to one. All right, time to lose. Great. Can't wait. And if we pull it out and we win, it feels like a miracle at that point, which is not a good feeling. And the other thing that feels bad as I'm watching the game as we speak, actually, the Yankees' best hitter at the moment is currently Tyler Wade, which is also a large problem when a guy that does not normally start for you is your best hitter. A guy that's in AAA most of the time. That does not make you feel good. Not at all. I'm fine with him being our utility player like he normally is. He's a good player when he's up here, and that's fine. He hasn't earned his own spot, I don't believe, with the lineup we have. But with that said, the fact that he's our best hitter also reflects very poorly because if I looked at the lineup and had to pick one guy and said that would be our best hitter, I would have picked basically everybody else before him. He wouldn't have made my list. He wouldn't. I wouldn't even have thought of him. But yet he's number one right now, which is another thing that I find – Highly concerning because we talked about how poor the Yankees have been hitting. That's a problem. When the guy that's not normally up with the team, or at the very least is not normally playing, even if he's just on the bench, is your top hitter, you have you have problems. Yeah, to, to the relief pitching aspect, I, I definitely feel where you're coming from as a, a Phillies fan. That's been the past couple of years that that's honestly been what it's felt like. But at least the past, like, don't want to jinx it, but the past like month or so since we got Ian Kennedy things that things have been better especially with that and Bradley but ho- hopefully they can keep it up and Suarez was doing a great job now now he's in the starting rotation and he's doing a great job there but I hopefully the Phillies are getting out of that uh, mindset but like the first uh, before the all-star breaker in like uh end of June we the Phillies had blown like 23 saves which is like exactly where you know how it feels like with the the Yankees where it's just like you just can't get it done and it sort of just builds up like you blow a save and it's like building into the next time so then when the guy comes out there the next time you're like well he blew the save the last time is can he get it done and then he blows it again and then you're like oh man we're just not just tumbling I got a quick story for you I'll make it very short just to prove how bad it is with our oldest Chapman I was at a Yankees game last month. He came out. We were up, I don't know, like 10 runs, I think, against the Red Sox. The entire stadium, self-included, booed because he was coming out because we he, he hadn't pitched in however long. So I guess Boone was just like, screw it. Let's just put him in. We're up by a lot, but just to get him some work. I figured we're up by 10 runs. I guess we're going to lose now, though. I screamed onto the field. Great. Now we're going to lose. And that's, that's how everybody felt. Everybody booed, was yelling, was upset. He were up by 10 runs, and he, you thought he was going to lose us the game because he had pitched that poorly. When that's how you feel in a 10-run game that your best relief pitcher is going to do that and possibly lose the game, not a good feeling. That's, I think that sums up how Yankees fans feel right now is, okay, who is our best closer? Obviously, Chapman would be normally the pick. You're up by 10 runs. How do you feel? 
Not so great. Okay, that's not a good feeling then. No, that's an issue. And the Mets are also part of this discussion. Although their bullpen has been good this year, again, probably going to jinx it. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say that. It was good to be the first half of the year. It has not been as good since. And like I said, Edwin Diaz is on two ends of the spectrum. One day he comes in, he's electric, throwing 100 miles an hour, the electric slider. He's striking out guys with those nine pitches, one, two, three inning. The next night, walk, hits a guy, double, home run, game over. It's, I, it's ridiculous with him, and I don't trust him either. Speaking of the Phillies and the Mets, I went to the game last Friday when the Phillies beat the Mets 4-1, to one, sat 15th row behind home play. Great seats, by the way. Beautiful ballpark. Really enjoyed it. And I got to see the disappointment that the Mets were. Number one, bases loaded, nobody out. Marcus Stroman's coming up to the plate. At the worst he can do is ground into a double play and a run scores. But what does Luis Rojas tell him to do? Tells him to strike out on three pitches. Next comes up, Brandon Nimmo. Would anyone want to take a wild guess what he does? I'll tell you. Grounds it to a double play inning over they don't score. Two innings later, two on, first and second, nobody out. Alonzo, strike out. Javi Baez, the, the big man they traded for, double play inning over. Then the, the icing on the cake. Edwin Diaz comes in in the eighth inning. He's the closer. Why was he in in the eighth inning? I don't know. And what does he do? Bryce Harper, who owns Edwin Diaz, takes him deep. The Mets lose four to one. That's just my little rant about that. But going back to the Yankees, here's my issue. You're right. They have they don't have reliable pieces. Shag Green is a good reliever. He's not a closer. He's not the type to fit to be a closer to go in there. He's not the type of guy that Boone leans to and says, you know what, go get me three outs. They also don't have a guy, you know what, the eighth is yours. The seventh is yours. Go get me three outs. They don't have any of those guys to go get, say, go get me outs or two on, one out, go get me these two big outs we need protecting a one-run lead. I don't know who Boone's going to turn to when that situation comes comes about. Normally they do have that. That's the problem. But this season has been – a long one, and uh, I agree. Normally, it's easy. Just pick on basically anybody in that bullpen and say, get out there. Go. Go do the job. But yeah, this year get me three outs. Get me a big out here. Nope, not now. Not this year. No, this year has been uh, a train wreck, to say the least. It's It's been rough. And uh, I just hope the Yankees can make the playoffs, because if they don't make the playoffs, there's going to be some serious problems. Aaron Boone's gone. He might be gone if they make it and get swept. He might be gone either way, but if they don't make it, I guarantee you he's fired. The Yankees have a short leash. I I thought he would have been fired earlier, but I I don't think he should get all the blame. I'll say – I've said it before, and I'll say it again. My theory is always in baseball, the manager gets too much of the credit when the team is winning, and they get too much of the blame when the team is losing. I think this this scenario fits with Aaron Boone – I don't think he's done a great job with the Yankees. I think he's made some questionable decisions with his lineup and with his bullpen. But you can't blame the guy when your Hall of Fame closer is blowing a lead every night and you have no one else to turn to. You can't blame the guy when nobody is doing their job in the bullpen. 
he calls on these guys to, like you said, get him out, and they're not doing that. So I don't think you can put all the blame on Aaron Boone for this, but he is at the end of the day, the Yankees manager, the Yankees are a franchise that's expected to win. And when they're not doing that, the manager usually gets the blame for it. Do I think he should? No, I don't think it's all his fault. But again, I'm not a Yankee fan. Most Yankee fans want him out. And you seem to be one of them, Jake. The reason I give him the blame is not, not for what you say. I think it's, it's, you have to look at it like this. Whose job is it to get his players to play to the best of their ability? And in any sport, no matter what, it's the coaches. It's the whole coaching staff. But at the end of the day, who gets blamed for everything? Who is the most responsible, if you will? Head coach. And that's what that's what Boone is. I mean, we don't call it a head coach in baseball, but it doesn't matter. That's the position. That's, that's what he is paid to be, the head coach. And when he is not rallying his troops and getting them to fix their issues with the talent that he has, there is a problem. That's why at least I at least think he needs to be fired because you give, I would say most managers, the amount of talent the New York Yankees have and the resources that they have in terms of money and ability to go get other players. And if you can't get them to win, there's a problem because they are, incredible up and down the lineup in terms of ability to play the names right everything on paper looks great if you cannot get them to play well there is a problem and so i know it's easy to say oh well you shouldn't just blame the manager i i get that and i do blame the players partially because they're the ones out there but if tom brady was playing for new england and they have you know when they're 17 and oh right that season if they take all that talent and they don't go 17 and 0 and they go instead maybe 8 and 8 are you really going to blame just you know say I'm not blaming Bill Belichick because I know the first place person I'd be blaming is Bill Belichick because of the talent you have on that team you need to get them to play at a higher level I'm not saying they need to still go 17 and 0 if history is being rewritten but I sure as heck don't expect 8 and 8 in the regular season that would be to me pathetic and so that's the way I look at it is if you can't get a group of talent that that is that amazing to play at the level they're supposed to be, you have a problem as, as a coach, as a manager, whatever you are. That's why I called for Boone's head because I feel like I could coach this team to be better. I mean, just throw them out there. If there's something wrong, figure it out what it is because that's what your job is as a manager and get things going again, because this lineup is one of the best in all of baseball. Well, I see your point, but here's where I'm going to also disagree with you. Football and baseball are wildly different when it comes to the coaching aspect. Number one. Of course. I just use that as an example. The coach has the most impact. Baseball, the coach has the least impact, in my opinion. Because in football, there's schemes. There's there's so many moving parts to it where it's a lot different. But I, I see your point. And you're right. Boone should have his players ready. But when you have a, a, a roster with this much talent on it, especially in the lineup, and they're not hitting, there's only so much you could do. I mean, also, what about the hitting coach? How about the pitching coach? Absolutely. You know, they all have to be – and I get they're all under Aaron Boone, but, I mean, the lineup this good with former MVP John Carlos Stanton, who doesn't play and doesn't hit, Gary Sanchez, who is – we know what he's capable of. Aaron Judge, DJ LeMay, who signed to a six-year deal, who's not hitting. 
how much of that goes on the manager? It's an interesting topic because, like you say, he should have his players ready, but at the same time, with this much talent, you know, it's give or take. It really is. And I, but I think you give the benefit of the doubt to the, 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 the team and you put the blame on the manager because it is the Yankees at the end of the day. It's franchise that's supposed to win. That's not, if you're a franchise that's supposed to win and they're not winning, the coach is going to get their head, their head chopped first. And that's, that's what's occurring right now for the Yankees. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the way sports go. That's the other thing. I mean, this is just how how sports are in general. If a team is underperforming, the first person to always get blamed is your head coach, manager, whatever you want to call them. That person is always on the hot seat. That's why coaches go in and out so often throughout sports. Because if a team underperforms, the first person to get in trouble is always going to be that head, that head honcho. And that's that's your coach, your manager, whatever. That's your guy. If they're not playing well, they're always going to be, you know, under the most scrutiny, no matter what. Always. Well, with that being said, I think we've all been through enough pain this year with our baseball teams. Why don't we turn our head to a little football talk as the season comes, is quickly coming to a beginning. Right now we're in training camp. Tonight's actually the first preseason game. Uh, Well, there was the Hall of Fame game, but there's some preseason games tonight. And... We're going to talk mainly about Giants and Jets training camp. So I just want to give a few notes that I have for the Giants training camp, first of all. So Kenny Galladay had a quad or a hamstring injury earlier in camp. He'll be fine. He'll be back soon. He's already running routes again. But the main concern was star running back Saquon Barkley. Obviously, I love him. I want to see him back on the field. And he doesn't. As of right now, his status for week one is up in the air. He practiced this week. He practiced Monday and Tuesday. They're getting him along slowly. Joe Judge said in the interview that he will not participate in any competitive or contract contact drills. His timetable all depends on what the team doctor says. Joe Judge is smart. I, I like what he's doing here. He's not pushing him too far, and he's listening to the doctor. Listen to the doctor. If you're not a doctor, listen to the doctor because – you have a guy that talented, you want to take it as slow as possible. I saw some of the tape from practice. He looks good. He looks like he's shifty. He looks like he's in full form to go out there and play. Hopefully he could play week one. If he doesn't, I don't think he'll be out for much longer than that. Maybe week two or three, he'll get, he'll get back on the field. But this offense is completely different with Saquon and without Saquon. So I think if you're a Giant fan like I am, you want to see him uh, suited up and playing week one alongside Daniel Jones. That just gives the offense a whole new dynamic that it doesn't have when he's not on the field. Yeah, definitely. I, I hope that he's able to come back. He's looked good so far in practice. Uh, I think if he does come back week one, and even if he comes back week two or three, the first couple games he'll probably be limited in limited action. Maybe he'll only get like, 10 carries they'll probably split it around try and limit the workload as he's coming back but really from camp my my biggest concern has been what I've been hearing about the offensive line it seems like they've really been underperforming so far in camp some of the development especially in the interior offensive line has seemed to be a little bit concerning to me so if you are going to bring like Saquon back and you want 
Daniel Jones to have that breakthrough year needs the offense line really need, is going to need to improve in the next month because uh, that that's the biggest concern. And they lost to like Joe Looney and Zach Fulton, two of their veteran guard depth uh, retirements in the past week or so as well. So they need to replace them. And so it's get, getting a little thin there. I don't even know where to start with the Giants. They just – they make me upset. I love my team, but I can't stand them sometimes. I don't know – I don't know how you two feel about Daniel Jones, but this is a make-or-break year, if I'm being honest. Oh, it and definitely I so, is. I saw what he did a practice today. I don't know if you guys saw it. I did. But he, he I did. made a pass <laughs> that went to – I mean, nobody. I mean, you, you may as well just bring it to your DB because – the entire field, left, right. That's where the receivers looked like somewhere within the left or right of the field. It, I don't. It didn't matter where. Just somewhere on the two sidelines is approximately where his his wide receivers were. And where did he throw? Right smack dab in the middle. And the only person that was there was a player on defense. I, I don't even know who it was, and it's irrelevant who it was. But it's a simple rule, and I know football enough, and I don't play it. To don't know, throw the ball to the middle. Not even that. You don't throw it where there's no wide receiver. Throw it to a guy that's supposed to catch it. You don't want to throw it to the defense. At least throw it to your guy. He didn't even get close. And I'm not sure where that pass was intended to go. I don't believe it was tipped. I don't believe it slipped out of his hand. It didn't look like it did. It looked like a perfect spiral. The throw was fine as to where the throw was going. However, it's beyond me. And normally I say to Dan, you know, about Daniel Jones, he's under pressure, and so I don't love the decisions he makes, but I, I give him a little bit of leeway. He makes bad decisions, but when you're under pressure, it's different. This was – he didn't look like he was under pressure. He wasn't being forced out of the pocket. He looked comfortable and clean in the pocket. Everything looked fine. So it would look to me like that would be a perfect play to at least attempt a pass to one of your wideouts – and he didn't even come close. He was miles away, it looked like. And I I don't know where that – I don't know what was happening. It definitely didn't make any sense to me. And as a fan, it was very concerning because I saw that and said, that's our quarterback. He's not even throwing near his receivers. He didn't even throw in the right direction. He was totally off base. And I'm pretty sure any of the three of us could have made a better throw than that. Just based on our vision alone, we could say – Let's at least throw it in the right direction. Whether or not we get close or make a good pass is irrelevant. At least we throw it to the correct direction. He threw it smack dab in the middle, nowhere near his his any of his offensive players. And I was I was worried when I saw that. Wow. It, the the worst part of it, I think personally, was that the guy dropped the interception. Oh, but, of yeah. But, but it wouldn't be the Giants if they didn't drop it. Oh. And, it, it was like bad on both parts because he threw it right to yes. the defensive guy and the defensive guy dropped it. But obviously we don't know if it was a wide receiver mistake as well, if someone was supposed to be coming over the middle or anything, but you know, it, it's all right. It's, it's the start of training camp. There's, I'm sure there'll be mistakes in that regard. It's, but obviously you, especially since it was a practice last night for like the fans they had, it was great that there were like yeah. 25, 30,000 fans that you would hope they would come, maybe not try like a new play or something like that there. The reason, but, the reason I'm worried, if it was Tom Brady who did that, 
I'd be like, all right, Tom Brady made one mistake. I'm not going to say anything. Why? Because he's Tom Brady. He's got the championships to prove that he is an incredible quarterback. And I would say the best quarterback to ever play the game, but that's not the point. He's at least established himself. Daniel Jones, to me, has not done that yet. He has shown flashes. He's proved that he can play well. But there's been so many issues, so many times that I'm not sure, that that just adds to the list of concerns. I see that and go, that doesn't look right. There's a problem. Tom Brady does it. I say, eh, Tom made a mistake. It happens. Aaron Rodgers does it. I say the same thing. Patrick Mahomes, any of those, those superstars, I say, you know what? It happens. We all make a bad play. When Daniel Jones does it, instead I look at it and I go, yeah, that's not a good sign for a guy that's supposed to be our starting quarterback and is still trying to prove himself. He's try- he-, he has to prove to me, and I think all the fans still really, that he can be a starting quarterback because I don't know that he's proved that yet. And when you do that, it at least for me, it puts some concern. It, it gives me some pause and say, is this really the right guy to be our quarterback? And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, I'm – watching him closely you know, i'm i'm paying attention to every move and he's got to, at least for my opinion right he's got to make every moment count because if he doesn't i don't think he's going to survive another year i really don't wow you guys yeah. are being so negative like i'm trying to bring some now, positivity here but i'm just being honest <laughs> i gotta call it as i see it yeah no you're right and with the giants that's that's how it's been the past few years but I agree with you. Daniel Jones has no leash this year, not even a short leash. He has no leash this year. This is it. He gave one more chance, which I'm glad Joe Judge did. I didn't want to move on just yet. And like you said, he's shown you so many flashes where he could be great. You know, he has the speed. He, he has a lot of physical tools that you like in a quarterback. He's got good a good deep ball. throws a nice spiral. He can run. But he makes boneheaded moves sometimes. And last year, he wasn't all that good. The offense was holding the team back. This year, no excuses. He's got his running back back, his star running back playing and healthy. They got him a number one receiver. They got him a a great tight end, a red zone threat. The offensive line scares me a little bit, but he's got to perform this year. He's got to take that next step into being an an upper echelon quarterback if the Giants want to win and if he wants to stay around. This is it. All I want to see, I'll be honest, I don't even need him to be the best quarterback. I mean, I want to see him step up, but I also just want to see smarter decisions out of him. That's really what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, I want to see less fumbling too. He's right, and that's part of smarter decision making. And I completely agree. If he makes if he makes smarter decisions, his stats will improve. His interceptions will go down. His overall turnovers will go down. And I think as a result, he will be looked at more favorably. If he continues to make bad plays where he doesn't throw to the sideline properly or he doesn't know when to just take the sack, anything like that is going to is, you know, is going to result in him being out of town. That's what I'm really looking for. I'm not looking for him to necessarily throw for 5,000 yards and 35 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions maybe. I'm not looking for that. If he throws for 25 touchdowns and he, and he maybe throws – 12 or 13 interceptions, I'll live with it because if that's all he does and he has maybe one or two fumbles, I can live with that because that's a – to me, that's a big step in the right direction. His fumbles go down, and that's a pretty normal number for interceptions for a quarterback. It's really it, – I know it sounds like a lot, you know, when you compare it to his touchdowns, but 
that's, I would say, a, a relatively speaking, a normal number for a quarterback. That's not abnormal. That's that's okay for me, and I can live with that because that's going to be less than a, an interception a game. And so even if he pushes a little bit more, maybe towards 15, that's that's still okay. But if you've got 15 interceptions and 10 fumbles, I'm going to be like, this is this is unacceptable. Well, listen, and that's what I'm looking for. As long as the – I don't even care what his stats look like. If the offense is scoring and if – if he's not the reason they're not scoring, right. I'm okay with him staying as the quarterback. Right, right. If right. he's the reason they're not scoring, get rid of him. If he, if the offense is scoring, though, I don't really – he could throw no touchdowns. Saquon could have 30 rushing touchdowns. I don't care. As long as the offense is putting points on the board, unlike they did last year, doesn't really matter to me how they get it done. Just get the ball in the end zone. I'm tired right. of settling for field goals like they did last year, punting. Get the ball in the end zone. Yeah, I will I will say this. I think the narrative on Daniel Jones would be a lot different if like one or two things went differently last year. If Evan Ingram catches that ball versus the Eagles, if you know there's he completes like that pass to Deion Lewis when they're playing the Cowboys. I mean, there's a lot, or if he doesn't suffer that hamstring injury against the Bengals, there were a lot of those little things. And if right. the Giants were were able yeah. to get into the sneak into the playoffs last year, it's like a completely different conversation and I'm willing to give Daniel Jones the benefit of the doubt. I, I think that a lot of his play this season will be up to how the offensive line plays and how healthy his wide receivers are able to stay. Kenny Galladay already with the hamstring injury and, you know, Sterling Shepard has had a history of injuries as well. So we'll see how that goes, but it's, I think it's more of the pieces around Daniel Jones than Daniel Jones himself. If, since, you know, in, in the past couple of years, the O-line's been not as good. And then when the O-line's played better, the wide receivers haven't played as well. So we'll, we'll see how he does with all the pieces together. But I, I'm optimistic about how he'll play this year. I, I think he'll be solid. And I think it'll be another tough year in the NFC East with another team that goes nine and eight or something to, to win the division. The big thing is he's got to he's got to cut down on those fumbles though because I I was curious how many fumbles he's had in 2019 he had 18 fumbles and although last year he cut his number down he still had 11 fumbles so 11 fumbles and I think he had 10 interceptions I saw 21 so turnovers right if he cuts that number down like I said if he's if he fumbles two even three times. I can live with that because that's only going to be 13. Maybe he had, uh, yeah, he had 10 interceptions. So that's maybe 13 turnovers. I can live with that. Even if he bumps up his interception ratio or rather number, maybe it's 12, 13. I can still live with 16 turnovers. That's not, I'm cool with that. But if he bumps up his interceptions, which is okay. Again, I said 13 to 15, somewhere in that range is, is I think pretty average. It's, it's pretty normal. He would have somewhere in that range, but if he's having that many interceptions and that many fumbles, he's going to have 20 plus turnovers. If he's having that many interceptions, but just a handful of fumbles, then we're looking at less than 20 turnovers. I can live with that. That's I can live with those numbers. As so long that's a big as they're scoring. Yeah. As long as they're scoring and winning games, if they're scoring and <laughs> winning games. He could turn the ball over as much as he wants. I that, shouldn't say that, but. If he wants 40, that, that's fine. If right. The Giants are, you know, 11 and six or, 
I like the guy. I'm a Daniel Jones supporter. I like him. I, I like him a lot. And I hope that he turns a corner and shows everybody why they drafted him sixth overall in 2019. I, I hope he shows uh, the Giants that he's the quarterback of the future and he's here to stay. You know, like I said, he, he has more talent this year. He has, he's got his running back healthy and he's got a number one, a great receiver with him and a red zone threat tight end. He's got to make it happen this year. And Justin, you're right. Had Evan Ingram not dropped the pass, who knows? That's give or take. But also, he didn't have one game last year where he threw for 300 yards. So I don't know if that's a result of – I think it's a result of multiple things. You know, the play calling, the talent around him from a receiving standpoint. And you know, you know what you, people don't realize – Saquon Barkley brings another dynamic as a receiver too. That's one of the For things sure. that are, it's overlooked with Saquon because of how good he is running the ball. He's very good out of the backfield on screens, um, on seam routes. He's a, he's a good receiving back. I'd put him top five, top 10 in the league in that category. That's another thing that's, that's going to be very helpful when you have him back on the field. And I feel like in 2020, 2019, I should say, the Giants kind of neglected that part of Saquon's game. They mainly just focused on him running the football. They didn't really get him involved in the passing game. And he had an injury that year, so maybe that was part of the reason why. I just feel like a guy like that with that kind of talent, you've got to utilize him anywhere you can with the amount of raw talent he has. And I think that could help Daniel Jones a lot. The Giants are not known for being a big screen-heavy team, but if they can do that, that just adds another dynamic to their offense that will make them very difficult to stop. Yeah, he, he's really unstoppable on those, like, HB angles where he's, like, running across oh, that. My, my favorite field. play in Madden. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, like, he's electric on those. That That's really where he's good. And if he's, like, can get back to that, back to himself after the first couple games of the season and they're able to get him five to seven targets a game, I mean, watch out. Like, he's just so quick and elusive that yeah, it, it makes it, it makes – it helps out the offense so much. Look, I love Wayne Goldman. He's a great backup, but he does not compare to Saquon in ability. I mean, Saquon just from an ability standpoint, he might be the best running back in the league when it comes to just how much, how agile and how much talent he has raw. He is, like I said, I think he could be the top running back in the league from when, when you're talking about talent, but this is the year for the Giants. Well, I shouldn't say for the Giants, for Daniel Jones. I, I think the Giants, they already have a good defense that got better. They got a Dory Jackson. You might They might take a step back. They might take a step forward. I don't know. I like what Patrick Graham did last year with the defense. I liked what he did a lot. He showed a lot of different coverages. He found ways to generate pressure without a true pass rusher on this team. Leonard Williams looked great. James Bradbury was a pro bowler. Um, Jabril Pepper should have been a pro bowler. He was also great. But a lot of times teams figure out the defenses. So we'll see if, if Patrick Ramos is one step and Joe Judge are one step ahead of that and they continue to have a deep dominant defense. If you can keep that part, the offense gets rolling, this team can win the division. It's not a, I don't think the division is that tough. It's going to be close together with the Cowboys football team and the Giants. The Eagles, I think, are just going to implode this year. But, nah, they'll be close. Eagles are going to be better than people. Yeah, think. I mean, when it comes when they play the Giants, they'll be good. The Giants will never beat them easily, no matter no. how bad they are. But still, I think the Giants have a little have a chance here to win a division if the wheels roll correctly and if Daniel Jones takes that next step 
to become that elite quarterback. I will always say this. In today's NFL, you can't win unless your quarterback is elite. And if Taylor Jones can take that step, the Giants have – I think they got a shot to win the division. He's got the pieces to be elite. It's just a matter of if you can put them together. I, I've said the, the way of uh, – the way of football, he's got to be a mobile quarterback now. That's, that's a must, and that's what he is. They have a mobile quarterback. It's just a matter of if he puts the pieces together. And Washington proved it last year. You can win the division with – okay offense, you know, an average offense, if you will, and a great defense. And that's what the Giants pretty easily have. They, if Daniel Jones steps it up just a little bit, plays a little bit better, and the offense as a whole plays just a little better, and they bump themselves up to what, what I would call average on offense, the defense can take care of the rest, and they don't have as much of a shot at the playoffs in the division as anybody else, and I don't see why not. It's a matter of – I hate to say but it falls on Daniel Jones' shoulders. I hate to keep putting it back on him, but – He's going to be make or break because I trust our defense plenty. I think Saquon's going to be hopefully healthy and and relatively back to normal. And I say relatively because I'm not expecting him to go right back into being what we expect him to be, but he will get there with, I would say, a handful of games under his belt. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, can Daniel Jones put it together and can the offensive line protect him? Yeah, I think if, I think if the O-line can protect him, I think he'll have a good year, and I think the Giants are going to be a good team. So – I'm just hoping the O-line can keep it together and can stay healthy because that, that's the key. That's I'll really say key. this. I feel like we say this every single year, though, as Giants fans. We say, this is going to be a good year. You know, this looks good. That looks good. And then the season starts, kind of like what we joked about with the Mets before, right? Things look good, and then the season gets going, and it's not necessarily what we expect. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm hoping that things will go, you know, the right direction. But I'm also going to be cautiously optimistic and keep a realistic perspective on all things because the Giants have a tendency to look good on paper and everything looks great. And then when they get on the field, the product is not what you expect. So I hate to you know, go in that negative direction, but that is generally what the Giants do. I feel like every year I say things are looking good. There's, they got a chance at, at being better. And then they just don't necessarily – you do what you need. So we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful, but if they don't, uh, don't play well, I won't be surprised either. I like the word you said, cautiously, cautiously optimistic. That's how you have to approach this as a giant yeah. fan. Cause another thing that we say every year is, well, if they stay healthy, if they right. stay healthy, that's, there's going to be injuries, whether you like it or not. It's sad. That's how football is. There's going to be injuries. You just hope that they have depth and that they can get around whatever injuries occur. You hope it's not to your star important players. And yeah, Saquon is probably not going to be a hundred percent. He's probably going to be on a rep count too when he comes back. That's okay. Let him work up to his full strength. I'd rather him be a hundred percent at the end of the year when we need to win some games than going full out in week one against Denver when he can possibly hurt himself again. But that being said, I want to go into one last thing before we sign off here. Big rookie class for quarterbacks. Five of them were drafted in the first round, and all five of them are going to play at some point this year. So I want to go through right now. Everyone is going to give their opinion on which rookie quarterback has the most pressure on him and which rookie quarterback is in the best situation. I'm going to go first. 
I'm actually going to give the same answer for both. I'm going to say Trey Lance has the most pressure on him, but he's also in the best situation. And let me explain. Number one, the best situation, that's easy. I mean, he's on a team that went to the Super Bowl less than two years ago. He's on a team that has a great head coach, a great surrounding cast. He's got one of the best tight ends in the league, arguably the best run game around him with the way Kyle Shanahan schemes his runs. He's got a great offensive line, a good defense, Nick Bosa. He has an all he's in a great situation. But here's why he's he's in he has the most pressure on him. The 49ers didn't win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. And clearly, by drafting a quarterback third overall, they don't believe he they will win one with him. That being said, Trey Lance is expected to get this team to a Super Bowl and to win one. Not in year one, but he's expected to do so. That's why I think he has the most pressure on him. Because he was brought in to do what Jimmy G couldn't do, and that was win a Super Bowl. And I get all these quarterbacks are supposed to win Super Bowls, but the most realistic one that I think is can win one is Trey Lance, and that's what he's expected to do. As for the other quarterbacks, I think Zach Wilson right now, I just want to mention right here, he has not looked good in Jets training camp. I've I've seen videos. I've, I've read news reports. It's not looking too good for the second overall pick. He went 11 of 24 with two interceptions in a practice on Monday. He, I'm sorry, that was a week and a half ago on Monday. He threw two touchdown passes, then threw seven straight incompletions. On Tuesday, he threw a pass in the double covers that was intercepted. Practice ended shortly after. Out of all the quarterbacks, I've heard only good things about Justin Fields. I've heard good things about Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance. But I haven't heard good things about Zach Wilson. So I don't know if the Jets fans are worrying. I wouldn't because it is only training camp. You don't want to read too much into this kind of stuff. But so far, it looks like a struggle. And I feel bad for Zach Wilson. You know, he's being thrown right into the fire. And he has no veteran presence in the locker room or on the practice field to guide him along. His backup quarterback, I believe, is also a rookie. So he doesn't have you know, an Andy Dalton or a Jimmy Garoppolo there to mentor him and teach him things. He's going out there all alone by himself, learning everything on the fly with the new coaching staff, with new players, new receivers. It's a lot for a rookie quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if if Zach Wilson struggles mightily this season. And I worry for him because I don't, I know we all know how quarterbacks are in today's NFL. They, they struggle once they're right out. So I hope for him that he succeeds, but I could I foresee some struggles for him. But uh, Justin, what about you? Let's hear your picks for quarterback in the best situation and the one that's under the most pressure. Yeah, to, to also to Zach Wilson, I, I think it's a little early to like you know write anything of you know too much about him. It's his first training camp, still a month to go to the season. He's got a great offensive line. They tried to retool some of his wide receivers, so. I'll give him some time. He hasn't played a snap yet, so we'll see how he does in the future. I think he still has some bright things ahead of him, and could, it, a lot of times with rookie quarterbacks, they they start to get it together more as the season starts and into the second half of the season. But for the QB in the best situation, I, I also think it's Trey Lance. I think he's he he doesn't even have to play this season in order to and 
and has like really not that much pressure on him at the moment. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, he could play the whole year, get the 49ers into the playoffs and Trey Lance could basically have like a Patrick Mahomes type season where he just gets to learn being that playoff atmosphere, which could be really good for him. And he's in that great situation, ton of great O-line, lots of targets, great run game, not nothing really bad, too bad going on in that offense. And for the QB with the most pressure, I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence. He's hyped up to be, you know, the best prospect of all time, best quarterback since Peyton Manning type prospect type of thing. And right now he's in a training camp, training camp with in hyphenate, you know, quotes with Gardner Minshew. So he's, he's got a lot of pressure on him. He has to prove that he's a top quarterback in this league. And right starting week one, there's already going to be that, or around him that he's supposed to be that superstar that he was at Clemson, that he was in high school, and that he's going to bring that winning culture to Jacksonville. So a lot of, even though it's Jacksonville, not really that big market, like where Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or Justin Fields are in, I think there's still going to be a lot of eyes on Trevor Lawrence starting week one. I, I would have to agree with all of that. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is no question, I think, the most pressure not only because of what you said, but he's expected to turn the entire franchise around and start them to, to winning because with, with the hype around him, it was – we knew for basically a year whoever got the first overall pick was taking Trevor Lawrence. It wasn't ever a question of whether or not he would be picked first. It was a matter of who would be picking him. And so we knew that from the beginning – and there's a lot of pressure on him, not only because he's expected to turn around the franchise, but he is in a QB battle. And, I mean, it is a QB battle. I mean, I know we put quotes around it, but it is still a battle if they're legitimately looking at both. The other thing that is important to remember that QB battle, if he does win the starting job, you have to understand he's probably going to have a short leash if the battle is as close as we anticipate it to be. That would mean if he screws up, there is a good chance they will pull him out quickly instead of just letting him go out there and make the mistakes that he's likely to make. And the other thing is Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost a football game since I think high school. He has a reputation for literally winning everything. And so unless Jacksonville miraculously wins every single game and route to a Super Bowl, which I highly doubt is going to happen, he's going to have to lose at some point. And he's going to have to learn to lose because he hasn't lost basically in, in years, he, he's, you know, at, at the highest levels he's played at, he has not lost, period. So he's going to have to learn to live with losing and have to deal with that. And there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectations. Quarterback in the best position is no question Trey Lance. I think we all agree on that. But I want to say this. I think the best quarterback out of this class is not Trevor Lawrence. I am still sticking with Justin Fields. I think he is the best quarterback, but he's not in the best position. Thank you. But, Someone but, agrees. Justin That's, Fields is the best quarterback. Easily. easily. And he's going to prove it. He's going to prove it when he gets the chance. But I think he's in a bad position because Matt Nagy is not a good coach at all. I don't know. He isn't. I think he's a terrible coach. He has just – he screwed up the Bears. The way he coaches, I think they, they underutilize their running backs, especially in David Montgomery. I think they need to run the ball a lot more than they do because when you have a guy like that, run the ball. But, but anyway, that's, that's not the point of – the question was – Who's in the best position? And it's obviously Trey Lance. When you have a defense like that, all you have to do is go out there and not totally screw up. That was 
only that's the only job you're being given really they have solid running backs and the defense is going to do most of the work his only job is to go out there and not throw a bunch of interceptions and turn the ball over continually that's all he has to do if he goes out there and just is relatively productive the rest of the offense will help him the defense will help score points just because they are that great there are plenty of mentors around him to help him improve his game he will be okay as long as he totally he doesn't totally screw you know screw it up and implode on the field that's all he has to not do he's got the easiest position with with everything around him he still has a lot of pressure don't get me wrong though because i do agree with what you said jay he's got a lot of pressure because this was a playoff team and a super bowl team just a couple of years ago he's expected to go out there and continue to win but i think he's got the best chance with everything around him if they continue to play the way that they can play and live up to expectations when he's on the field they will be a great team but i still like i said i i still stick with justin fields as the best quarterback i just feel bad for him i think if you put justin fields in san francisco forget it i mean Super Bowl got, team right there. You've got the best quarterback from this draft on the best team, you know, in terms of high draft picks, right? In the best scenario, that would have been the dream scenario. But I think Justin Fields, I'm saying this, when he gets to play, he will be the best quarterback this year. I'm not promising he wins offensive rookie of the year only because of I don't know how many games he will be able to play. I don't know what Mad Nagy will do. I know they named Andy Dalton starter for now, so I don't know, but I am saying this, if he plays 10 or more games, he is my offensive rookie of the year pick. If he plays that many games, though, and I say if because I have no idea what the Bears are going to do because, like I said, he's not in the best position in terms of coaching staff because I think Matt Nagy is a terrible coach and he shouldn't be the Bears coach, period. And I know there are plenty of people that will agree with me when I say that. I like a lot of what you said. And, yeah, Trey Lance – is expected to keep winning. And I think he, you're right. He, do, he does have the best shot because he has the best surrounding cast. And I agree with you. I would, I'm an Ohio State football fan. So this is firsthand experience. Maybe a little bit biased. Justin Fields, I think, is the best quarterback. I mean, he has so much talent. He beat Trevor Lawrence head-to-head in the playoff. He, he got a cheap shot to the ribs in that game. Still ended up tossing for... 400 yards and six touchdowns leading Ohio State to a championship where they got destroyed, not his fault. But how can you not look at that and say, that's the guy I want? I don't understand how the Jets saw that or the 49ers saw that and were like, eh, I'd rather take the other guy. Not that Trey Lance and Zach Wilson aren't, aren't, good, aren't good prospects. Right. I just don't get how Justin Fields fell that far. And I was be, I'm going to be honest with you. As a Giant fan sitting there at 11, with him there, I was like thinking to myself, I would not have minded if the Giants took Justin Fields. That would not have bothered me one bit. They didn't, though. The Bears got him, and I agree with you. They're, the Bears have never had a good quarterback ever. They're under a defense first team. They're not known for that. They're not known for it, and I feel like it's a curse to go there as a quarterback because it never works out, but I think Justin Fields is a real keeper here. And I agree with you. Matt Nagy is not a good co- coach, especially from a quarterback development standpoint. Uh, I think he might be out if they miss the playoffs again. But I do think Justin Fields is going to turn that franchise around or he's going to at least change the narrative of them being just a defensive 
team franchise wise to a team that can do everything to a real contender in the NFC. I don't think he's going to start week one. My reports are not my reports. Look at me. I'm not Adam Schefter, (laughs) but what I'm reading is that Andy Dalton will start week one, but Justin Fields will definitely play. And what that says to me is that Andy Dalton is going to have a short leash. I see, I think the first bad game that Andy Dalton plays, I think Justin Fields comes in and he takes over from there. Could be a Justin Herbert scenario minus the punctured lung. But I think week two or three, if the Bears lose a game or two, I think Justin Fields goes in there and he starts the rest of the way and has a Justin, has a Justin Herbert-esque type rookie year where he's just breaking records and he's phenomenal and showing the NFL why he should have been taken earlier than 11th. Yeah, ho- yeah, hopefully Tyrod Taylor doesn't have that happen to him again. <laughs> he's finally got a shot on the Texans now. He's like, I think he's like, they released their depth chart a couple of days ago and he was number one. So maybe this time he'll have get some better luck and get to play a little bit more than one game before getting uh, benched. But yeah, just Justin Fields, I think he's in a pretty good situation there. Not, not being thrown into the fire week one and being able to observe for a couple games is definitely the best thing you can do for a quarterback, a rookie quarterback. It's a lot to take in. Uh, there's a, you have to learn the whole scheme. You're supposed to be a, the leader on the team when you're still trying to figure out what to do yourself. So if Justin Fields, if he doesn't have to play for four or five weeks, then, you know, that's, that's definitely a plus and that's going to help his performance as if he comes in and for bears fans, they probably hope that Justin Fields doesn't even have to see the field because the Andy Dalton's playing so well. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I disagree with that. I, I think if you're, if you're, if you're a bears fan, I know one, you want to yeah. see Justin Fields. Nobody I, wants to see. Andy I Dalton. can second that. I know bears fans. And they said that they're like, I want Justin Fields out there ASAP because he is a million times better than Andy Dalton. Yes, he, he's already better. I I really? want to see Justin Fields. I don't want to see Andy Dalton playing. I want to see Justin well, Fields out it, there. It's more if Andy Dalton just, you know, if the Bears have a good record, they're playing well, you're get you're allowing Justin Fields to learn, you know. I, I think it's a good combo. And then yeah, if you can even pull what it the Dolphins is. did. You could pull even what the Dolphins did last year where Ryan Fitzpatrick had a good record. He was playing well. The Dolphins were playing well, and they still made the quarterback change just because they wanted to get Tua in their midseason and get him some experience. And the Bears could pull a similar thing this year. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, Matt Nagy just – he worries me. That's like all I can think is if it was any other coach, I'd feel better. But he's so, in my opinion, undeserving of a head coaching position. And I'm not – I don't know who replaced him, so I have, I'm not saying I know who should be the coach – I just I watch how he he plays the game, you know, he how he calls the game. And I, I don't I don't like what he does. When you underutilize a quarter actually a running back like David Montgomery, it worries me because it should be a very simple game plan. Give him the ball at least 20 times, maybe 25 at most, and go from there. That should be your immediate game plan, and it's not. So that in and of itself is is a red flag that I see. I'm like, not sure how I feel about this whole situation. I mean, I think Justin Fields is the best quarterback by far. And the reason I say that is because he's a warrior. He will go, he, I think he is the fiercest competitor of all the quarterbacks that were picked this year. I think he is just 
that's what he is. And I think that's what makes him the best quarterback, not only just his talent, but his, his tenacity, his fierceness, his on the field play when, with the energy he has, that's big. But with Matt Nagy as the coach, I'm not sure how much playing time he's going to see when he's going to see playing time and how short his leash might be, because, you know, you brought up Tua, right? But his, his leash was pretty short. I mean, he, he screwed up mid game. He would be pulled. And so that's what I'm worried about because I think Justin Fields needs to go out there and be allowed to screw up and, and, and learn from those mistakes, because I think that's what will make him an incredible quarterback. But with the coach he has, I worry that he won't be able to, I worry that he'll see that and immediately switch back to Andy Dalton because he knows if Andy Dalton fails, at least it's better than ruining a young quarterback, or at least he thinks. Well, Bears fans better hope that uh, if Justin Fields gets playing time, he plays better than Tua did his rookie year, because that would be pretty underwhelming, I I have to say. I agree. I agree. And just to finish things off here and end end off, Matt Nagy, I agree with you. I don't think he's a good fit for Justin Fields, who's a kind of running and gun it quarterback. He's just kind of kind of do his own thing out there. He takes a script, but he'll he'll kind of go off of it. He's an off-script quarterback. He can make plays outside the pocket. Doesn't really fit what Matt Nagy does. Matt Nagy's a very like set straight to the point type of offensive yep. coach. And I just don't think it's gonna mesh well together. Hopefully, Justin Fields will overcome that. I really don't want to see Justin Fields get held back by Matt Nagy. But I think Fields has too much talent for that to occur. So I envision success for him. I envision success, hopefully, for the Mets and the Yankees in the future, not the Phillies. But I guess only time will tell if the Mets will come out of this. If the Mets, in a week, I said, they go on a West Coast road trip, they could be out of it in a week. They could be – or they could win some of these games and really show people that they're here to play. The Yankees – We'll see what they're up to in a couple weeks. We might have one more show before we go back to campus. Once we're on campus, we will be live on the radio at WTSR 91.3. Tune in Mondays, 4 to 5 p.m., where we will be live covering the same material. But until then, thanks, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.